This is the uh, third uh, episode of our podcast, uh, and I'm with J.P. Moreland. He's the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at uh, the Talbot School of Theology, which I was fortunate enough to attend, and I actually got to uh, be in some of J.P.'s classes and learn from the master himself. So um, he's actually written a couple books relevant to our uh, topic today, which is on uh, race, racism, and the human soul. So several books, I think, that, that probably come to mind that you've written on this is uh, The Soul, What It Is and Why It Matters, uh, Love uh, God, Your God with All Your Mind, and uh, most recently, you've written Finding Quiet, which I think probably has um, some very relevant um, pastoral uh, concerns uh, with what a lot of people are dealing with today, being in um, you know, situations where they're isolated and uh, don't necessarily have the um, as much access as we normally would to the body of Christ and to um, fellow believers um, with with some of what's going on. So, uh, yeah. With all this uh, being said, JP, I'd I'd love to get the ball rolling and uh, ask you some questions. Really starting with metaphysics to to kind of give us a a framework to to work with to think about some of these things. So, I guess my first question for you would be. Um, what is metaphysics? How would you define that? And why does it matter what our view of metaphysics is when it pertains to the human soul? Well, Josh, it's great to be with you. And uh, boy, you started off with uh, the question, a really, really fundamental question. And I would say that metaphysics is the philosophical study of reality. And people have this mistaken idea that science and science alone tells us about what's real. But, but this is not at all true. In fact, I wrote a book called Scientism and Secularism to try to show that while science is a way of knowing reality, there are other ways of knowing reality and there's no good argument to limit how we know reality to simply one set of methods. So uh, there are distinctively philosophical ways of getting at what's real. And uh, metaphysics is the branch of philosophy that does that. Now, now why does this matter? Well, number one, uh, metaphysics can help you understand reasons for believing in things that the Bible teaches, like, um, what is the nature of free will? What are the different views and, and what are the arguments for and against each one of them? Um, is there a soul and what sort of a thing uh, would a soul be? Um, is, does God exist? What, what is God? What kind of a being is God? And if the script, and the, other, the other thing is that um, uh, not only does metaphysics help you get it at, at what, what's real, uh, it also helps to, as I've already illustrated, clarify and make more precise things that we already hold to be real. Like if a Christian holds that there's a soul, uh, metaphysics can help to uh, unpack what, what a soul would be if there were such a thing. So uh, metaphysics is just a very, very important foundational discipline for building a Christian worldview. In fact, the, and, uh, the, the medieval theologians would not allow a student to touch a theology book hmm. until they had had 
years of training in metaphysics and philosophy because theology was so important to them. An error there could literally destroy someone's life that they said you needed uh, deep training in metaphysics and philosophy so you could so you could see things that are there in scripture that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise. So it's very, very important for building a Christian world. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it. Um, I didn't know that about the uh, medieval theologians. That's really interesting. Um, so that being the case with, with the importance of it and the impact that it has um, on our view of human persons, the world, how we see God and, and does God even exist, right? Those kinds of questions. Um, how, how would you say this impacts um, our view of, of the human person and what kind of metaphysics as a Christian, um, it, are there differing views that we can hold on that? Well, um, it's very difficult uh, to make sense out of uh, equal human rights and equal human value on a secular view of the world. In fact, uh, uh, one of the leading philosophers of law in the 20th century, I believe he taught at both New York University and the University of Arizona, and was perhaps the leading uh, figure in um, the uh, uh, kind of the secular movement uh, towards uh, thinking about law. Uh, he, Joel Feinberg, made the, made the claim very clearly that without something like the image of God, it simply is not possible to justify the claim that we have equal human rights. And the reason is, number one, we don't have anything in common that's equal. Uh, and if you identify something we have in common, it's not gonna have any weight. Like say we're all still human, but what what the secularist has to face is that being a human now just means being a certain biological species. <clears throat> it doesn't mean any more than that. Uh, the rest of it, if you want to attribute more worth to being a human, it's a social construction that is relative to one culture and there's no objective truth of the matter. But on a Christian worldview, uh, because we are, in, we, we are souls that inhabit a body, our souls are actually made in the image of God. And metaphysics can help to clarify what that means. But if that's true, then we have more value than just a pure material object. So if I were just my brain and body, it would be hard to see why I would have a whole lot of value, at least the kind that we take human persons to enjoy. Uh, now, I believe the body matters, but I also have views of the body according to which it's not strictly physical. The point I'm just making is, though, that um, we have value that is universally recognized as high and uh, that we enjoy a, a certain degree of respect and of tr a certain kind of treatment and it's hard to make sense out of where that, how that could be, mm -hmm. and certainly how it could be equally distributed among all human persons if there isn't something like the image of God. So the soul uh, is an absolutely essential uh, part of a, of a Christian justification of equal rights, mm -hmm. and uh, 
quite frankly, the rights of uh, the oppressed and those who are uh, being uh, disempowered by society. Okay, so in other words, in order to have a view of human persons um, and, and a view of equal justice where everyone has fundamentally equal rights and where we have fundamental uh, dignity and respect for one another, there has to, you're saying there has to be something that grounds that. Absolutely. There has okay. to be a ground for it. And take, let me give you an example of what happens when a, a Judeo-Christian grounding is taken away. In early American history, in the first two decades of the 20th century, there was a movement in the United States that was widely accepted called eugenics. Now, um, the eugenics movement was based upon an, an atheistic Darwinian approach to reality. This is widely acknowledged. And it, it started with the premise, number one, that, that we're in a struggle for survival and those that are fittest have more value and have a moral duty to eliminate those that are less fit to purify the gene pool, mm -hmm. to, to uh, increase the chances of our survival. Now, this simply just makes sense if you're a, if you're a strict Darwinist and don't believe in, a, in any kind of a God that made us in his image. So what happened was in those states that were the most secular, California being the worst, uh, they passed laws that allowed for the forced sterilization of alcoholics, of mm. people that were mentally ill or significantly defective. And this was practiced. It also allowed for the incarceration uh, of, of people with mental illness and, um, and, and people with different kinds of criminal pasts. It was also a part of Darwinian philosophy that people of color were of less value than mm. Caucasians because according to, to Darwin, they were not as further as far evolved as Caucasians. And so this was actually used, you won't believe this, but the, the, the minutes of a meeting in the State Assembly of California in Sacramento, justifying the practice of euthanasia, was actually quoted by the Nazis in their justification for eliminating the Jews. Wow. Because, because if Darwinism is true and God does not, does not exist to make us in his image, then they, are, they reasoned that the Jews were defective, uh, 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 the Caucasian race was more survival uh, in, in, in competent, and it was morally, uh, uh, as actually a moral duty to eliminate uh, the Jews and others. Now, of course, I, I find that so appalling, I can't believe no. it. The problem is this. I don't know how a person who holds to that worldview can find it appalling. Because you have to follow out the implications of your views and be, have intellectual integrity and be honest about it. And I'm not, this is not a hypothetical, Josh. We've already been through this, yeah. both in, our, in the United States. And the, re, you know, the thing that stopped the eugenics movement was in the state of Louisiana when a priest 
went into the state assembly and argued that all human beings were made in God's image, no matter if they were mentally deranged or criminals or what have you. And it got started in Louisiana, where a law was passed against eugenics and it spread to the rest of the country. So it really was a biblical concept of the image of God that gave people rights that were being denied by a secularist worldview. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's that, that's, um, yeah, that's awful. Uh, so essentially there's a justification now. Uh, if, if you, unless you have something that fundamentally grounds human persons as equal, you, there can be a justification for saying that, well, this person is, is morally superior or, or uh, superior in some way, whether, you know, uh, inherently or morally or, uh, you know, based on uh, their whatever. Uh, whatever whatever the justification is and then some people as inferior if you don't have that uh that that something that that grounds it and in this case in the christian view it's the image of god so um i i guess the question so I, a potential objection could be well why does it have to be the image of god what about some other kind of uh grounding that says human uh persons are equal um what would you say in response to that well i would like i'd like to, someone to offer what those are and they have been offered, like intelligence, uh, the ability to form relationships with others, uh, having a self-concept, being able to formulate goals and achieve them in a meaningful way to me, and on it goes. But here's the problem. Every set of alleged alternatives to the image of God turn out to be what philosophers call degreed properties. Now, a degreed property, mm. like being cloudy, is something that a, an object could have to a greater or lesser degree. The sky can be very cloudy or not very cloudy. Um, having weight is a degreed property, unfortunately. Uh, the older <laughs> I get, I have uh, more of that property, and I used to be like you and have less. Or, or being, or being light, just you well, know, half, half full, half empty. Yeah. <laughs> so you see, we're not all equally good looking. We're not all equally socially useful. We're not all equally uh, athletic or intelligent, or you name it. So what mm -hmm. that? So the problem with all these substitutes is that they're if they're what give us value, then we still don't have equal value because we don't all share these properties equally. Mm. It would follow that those that had more of whatever this favorite list was, you know. Uh, but therefore more valuable. And I say during finals week, most of the freshmen at Viola could be euthanized because they lose their self-concept. <laughs> they, they lose their ability. <laughs> They can't have relationships anymore with anybody. <laughs> so you you get the point, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, so with the image of God being the um, well, one just the the biblical um, truth. I mean, Scripture seems to speak on this uh, for Christians that the, the thing which uh, we all have in common as human beings. Um, but also, it seems to be the the best explanation for or justification for what would ground a view of human persons as equal and, and a really a, a, a foundation for a view of human justice. What, how, how would you define um, the Imago Dei? And is that the same thing as the soul or is there a distinction between the two? 
Good question. And by the way, the leading ethicist in the world today, who I disagree with almost everything he holds, but everybody acknowledges he's the top ethicist. He's at Princeton. His name is Peter Singer. He has actually admitted that the only way to justify our equal value is the image of God. There's no other reasonable solution. But there is no God and there's no image of God, so we don't have equal value. And so I'm not just saying this for, as a Christian. Top non-Christian thinkers admit that the image of God is the best, maybe the only reasonable way to justify equal value and rights. So uh, it's a problem uh, that's not just Christians claiming it. Now, um, um, the, the image of God uh, should be understood ontologically. Uh, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. Sadly, uh, so many theologians and uh, biblical scholars today have been so uh, um, intimidated by science that they, that they have um, started um, not thinking that the image of God is something real that we have because you can't prove it scientifically. So they've, re they've said the image of God is not something we are or have, it's something we do. So the image of God becomes functioning. Uh, it becomes our ability, uh, our, when we function to uh, be stewards of creation or function to uh, be loving, which would mean, again, that if people aren't functioning a certain way, they would not be fully in possession of the image. Um, I believe that the image of God is a range of powers or capacities that we possess that are like the ones that God possesses that make him a person. So let's just stop and think. God has attributes, and uh, he has powers or capacities that he's not always exercising, like uh, he's not He's omnipotent, but he's not doing everything he could be doing all at the same. He's not creating new universe. So part of his power, he is, is reserving, but he has the ability to use it anytime he wants. Well, we, what, what is it that makes God a person? Well, God has the, the capacity for rational thought, for uh, moral action and moral understanding, um, he has the power of free volitional choice. Uh, he has the power of abstract reasoning and of uh, exhibiting, um, uh, engaging in personal relationships with, within the members of the Trinity. Now, I say that the image of God is our ultimate ability to do all those things, and it is not the degree to which we've realized that ability. Now, let me explain. Um, you can have a capacity, like I have the capacity to speak uh, uh, English, but I don't have the capacity to speak Russian. Not but either. I have the capacity to develop the capacity to speak Russian. Does it make sense? Yes, sir. Okay, now I may lose and gain new first-level first capacities. I used to have the capacity to, to read German uh, and Greek, but I've lost those because I haven't kept up with it. 
but I have new capacities that I didn't used to have. But I always had the capacity to have those capacities, even if I didn't have them at the moment. What that means is that even a defective newborn might not have the capacity to develop a full rational mind, but they have the capacity to develop that capacity if what is blocking it, say a defect in the brain, were removed. So that we all equally share in a set of powers or abilities that are second order abilities that we all have simply in virtue of being a human person. Mm. And they are like the ones God has that makes him a person. So rational thought, moral awareness, moral action, exhibiting virtue, uh, cultivating uh, uh, meaningful interpersonal relationships and so on. And we all have that equally. Now it is actually the soul that, that possesses those because if you think of all those capacities, they're not physical. Um, say, take the capacity to engage in abstract reasoning or to, or to understand what a moral, a proper moral action is. Those are mental realities. Now, I will admit that while we're in the body, just like if I'm in a car and the car breaks down, I can't move around if I don't get out of the car, because while I'm in the car, I depend on it. When I'm in the body, I depend on my body working. So if my brain breaks down or something happens to my eyes, I can't see or think anymore. But that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that uh, it isn't the soul that has those things. It just means that when in the body, the soul needs the body to work in order for the soul to do what it does. So that's why the soul matters. The soul possesses the image of God, but it is not the same thing. I guess I would want to say the soul is the thing that has those powers or those capacities. And so the image of God is the set of person, personal powers that the soul has, just like God's spirit or, or soul sure. has his powers. Sure. So it, it sounds like then we are these embodied souls. Yes. We have certain... Uh, powers or uh, capacities, which uh, is almost like a, it sounds like a time, like a stamp, like God's like stamp of, of that uh, to a lesser extent, of course, we're not omnipotent, but uh, in the same way that he has these uh, uh, powers and, and capacities, uh, we have it to a, a much smaller magnitude. Well, Josh, you've just hit on something so important that it, it, it bears repeating. In the ancient Near East, when a king, uh, conquered or owned a land, uh, he would place poles with images of uh, himself or his seal on mm. those poles to say that this was his. Well, God did that here, but he placed images of himself all over the earth, namely us, <laughs> as an example of that this world is his and he has delegated the responsibility to it of it to to his image bearers so you're you're so right now now let's contrast this with the black lives matter uh, movement i want to draw a very careful distinction between the appropriate affirmation that black lives matter and i we need to be saying that today 
People say, well, all lives yeah. matter. Well, that's true. But right now, uh, there are problems with uh, a police, police brutality. I don't think all the police are bad, but I think there's, there needs to be uh, changes in police training and in, right. the, in the atmosphere that's created. And so that, that's important. Why? Because black lives matter. And they're being affected by poor police training and some bad cops that don't get fired. And again, I love the police and don't, I think we need to fund them, not defund them. What we need to do is get rid of the bad ones and have a better way of uh, the police monitoring their own force. But now the, here's the deeper point. I affirm that Black Lives Matter unapologetically as a Christian. I have I embrace that. But the Black Lives Matter movement is an absolute nightmare. And all you have to do is go online and Google Black Lives Matter and look at the their website and read their doctrinal or their the state the positions they're committed to. And they're they're horrible and they're anti-Christian and anti-human. Sure. That, yeah. so, that, so you're, you're bringing up a great point, JP, because right now we're, we're with the whole Black Lives Matter statement. Um, of course, as Christians, we affirm that this is true. Of course, Black Lives Matter. Um, but the distinction between that recognizing the truth of that statement versus uh, affirming or backing an organization which has a whole list of creeds and uh, agendas that may or may not be contrary to Christianity. But I think you're right. They're very upfront about what their agenda is and what their creeds are. And many of them are anti-Christian. And so yeah, my, 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 my question is, is why, uh, what, what kinds of uh, statements or uh, uh, creeds that they affirm, uh, wh which ones are um, anti-biblical in nature, or why can't we hold to everything that the okay. organization Black Lives Matter holds? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a handful quickly. Number one, they are radically pro-abortion, uh, even to the even to the moment before conception. Uh, number two, they are committed to the destruction of the traditional family because they believe it's an oppressive patriarchal system. So the idea that a man and a woman sh get, should marry and have children. They are against that, and they are for any form of family people want to freely choose. Uh, the other thing is that because they are, they get their roots from neo-Marxism, which they explicitly acknowledge, and they embrace what's called critical race theory. As a result, individuals don't get have value. Um, a person's value is a result of the class or group to which they belong. So if you're, a, if you're a white person, you are automatically racist and a victimizer, and um, you are to be uh, disempowered just because you're white. Now, this doesn't take into account some parts of the country where there are poor white people that are treated like trash. Uh, they're equally as uh, guilty as a rich, genuine racist. On the other hand, uh, let's say a, a person who's a, a, who's a black, who's part of the black community, um, is a victim. They cannot be racist because they're part of the victim community. 
And so we get what we call gender or group identity. Your identity is fundamentally the group you belong to. Christianity mm. says, number one, my identity comes fundamentally from whether I align myself with Jesus Christ or align myself against him or are just pa passively disinterested. So my fundamental identity has to do with Jesus Christ. That's my central identity. Hmm. Number two, I am individually responsible for my own actions. Uh, I can be a racist or a non-racist, uh, no matter what group I belong to, because of my individual choices and beliefs. That does not mean there is not systemic evil. There is. But at the end of the day, Christianity says that we are the ultimate agents of, of good or evil, and we have personal responsibility for our actions and for the things we do. It is not groups of people that we should uh, be for or against. It's individuals that are good or bad. And, and like I said, this doesn't rule out the fact that there may be certain uh, systems like the way po police handle certain things that, sure. that yeah. are bad and need so, to be fixed. So, so why do you, because you, you mentioned something interesting. You, you mentioned that the um, BLM movement uh, is, is largely uh, neo-Marxist in nature or they draw principles from neo-Marxism, which I, I want to um, take a second to pause there and, and ask you a little bit about that, especially um, considering our conversation of how important metaphysics is and our philosophical worldview uh, um, to uh, how that informs our perspective um, of human persons and justice and how we should treat other people. So uh, what I, if, if you'd like to do me a favor, just clarify um, what neo-Marxism is and uh, you know how, we, how much of society has come to this place where uh, we now have this viewing of, of people in terms of uh, group identity and identity politics, where it's, whether it's sex, whether it's uh, gender, uh, you know, or, or race or, or whatever it has, where it, it seems like, you know, when I read a, a news article, um, no matter what it's about, at some point, some kind of identity uh, or, or um, marker of, of group class is brought into the conversation, whether that's uh, race or sex or what have you. Sure, there are two things that we have to get on the table to understand this. Uh, the first is uh, the relation, what, what is Marxism and what is neo-Marxism? Mm -hmm. So Marx said that human beings can be divided into two groups. The, um, um, those with, uh, uh, money and, and with access to the methods of, of, of production of, of goods and services, in other words, the capitalist landowners. They were called the bourgeoisie. And then there was everybody else who were the workers, who were uh, basically enslaved by the capitalist landowners, and they were called the proletariat. And so the fundamental problem in the human condition is an economic problem between those that have and those that don't have uh, access to wealth and finances. And liberation in salvation is 
group um, reversal. It is the disempowerment of the victimizers and the empowerment of the uh, uh, the victims to produce a classless society where everybody has an equal share uh, and there's no one who has more than the others, except of course for the communist leaders. Now that that philosophy didn't work because America had this huge middle class that did not fit Marx's twofold division. And so Marxism never caught on in America when it was understood as an economic uh, solution to what was fundamentally an economic problem, because there weren't just two classes here. There was a major middle class that was, didn't fit neatly into either one. So in the 1920s, a group of thinkers, uh, especially uh, Antonio Gramsci, who was an Italian philosopher, uh, developed what's called neo-Marxism. Now, it's still Marxism in that it says that the fundamental problem defining the human condition is class warfare, and the fundamental solution is to liberate those that are being victimized by the victimizers. What makes it neo is that it's no longer understood in terms of economics. It is understood in terms of any two groups where one is the victimizer and the other is the victim. So race, gender, sexual orientation. See, this is why so many Black Lives Matter leaders and even uh, secular progressive Democrats that are that have bought into the to this ideology um, would be for ho a, a gay marriage and uh, for uh, uh, all kinds of sexual orientations because they have in common with black folk being victim members of victim classes and so what hold, what holds all the victim groups together is that they're victims and that's it. So it's neo-Marxist in that all the victim groups must come together and the end justifies the means. That means you can lie, you can loot, you can destroy property, you can kill, you can do according to Marxist, neo-Marxist thinking, anything as long as it's an effective means to reach the end of liberating the victim classes from the victimizers, the whites. Only the victim cl victimizer class can be racist. The victim classes cannot be racist because they don't have access to victimizer power. And so this is, uh, th this is the metaphysics. And so human persons then have value only insofar as they're members of a group. They don't have value in and of themselves. And thus a person could be killed uh, if it was a, a, a useful means to achieving uh, the, the neo-Marxist liberation. And that's why the looting and all the rest of what's going on today, I'm sure the average member of the Black Lives Matter movement doesn't know any of this. They're, they're angry and outraged. Uh, I think sometimes they're angry to an extent that's that's overdone because I think they've been told they're victims more than they really are today, not dismissing that there's not an issue here. But I think a lot of times, as many black leaders are saying, 
that their community has has bought the lie that they're victims and they're not as much victimized these days as they used mm -hmm. to be and it's and and it's not as bad as their secular uh, leaders are telling them so i think a lot of the average black lives member move uh, member movers are are not into all this they don't get it but they're just uh inordinately angry and think that's the solution but the leaders get this and they recognize that fomenting violence is a legitimate source of ethical action if it achieves the end of liberation right right and and that's interesting uh, there's a couple of people that come to mind when you when you mentioned that um the specifically about um the the this almost like self-perpetuating uh victimization uh mentality that further justifies um action uh towards a certain end uh you know whether that be rioting or looting um under this neo-marxist framework and I, i'm thinking of specifically of shelby Steele and thomas Sowell, um different uh uh you know a black uh conservative intellectuals who have come out and said uh where in in the data where where is all this occurring i mean I, you know right now a lot of it's focused specifically on um the the racial uh uh so the racial injustice that just occurred right with george floyd and everything involved in that case and and certain other ones but um some of these <laughs> some of these situations i look at and i i you know, there was one, I forgot what the guy's name was, but uh, he, he was in a Wendy's, he was drunk driving. Uh, I'm sure the people who are viewing this will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, he was taken out of the vehicle, had uh, two officers who tried to arrest him. Um, he fought back and actually grabbed one of their tasers from them, turned around, pointed it, shot it at the officer um, point blank, and the officer shot him. And that, there, was, there was a ton of outrage over this and, and, and so, um, really, it seems like at this point, it's, it's almost looking for any possible reason to uh, uh, label this as, as a, a, a victim uh, uh, versus oppressor relationship, which really fits in neatly with the neo-Marxist framework. Um, if there's ever a case of a you know, white, uh, white person versus a black person, especially in the context of uh, of you know some of these uh, uh, racial um, issues going on in in the uh, with cops and with police officers, um, it it just it seems like it's it's always the the white person who's automatically going to take the uh, label of uh, blame or judgment or uh, racist, and the um, black person who uh, is automatically the uh, oppressed in this situation, even when the evidence ne doesn't necessarily justify that, though, though sometimes it does, like in the case of George Floyd, which was really, really tragic and awfully clearly wrong, uh, that, you know, you have this guy that's kneeling on the neck of another human being for nine minutes, just completely uncalled for. So, um, so it, it seems like, like there, there is, you know, there's always an ounce of truth, uh, no matter what side you're on, there has to be some truth, right? in order for, for a movement to begin. And so um, I guess my, my question for you, JP, is with all of the, um, the you know, cancel culture going on where there's, there's, there's this, this kind of angry force that's looking to uh, uh, really just take down certain businesses or uh, certain 
people, celebrities, whoever that doesn't agree with this overarching framework, this, this neo-Marxist um, uh, framework that, that really is empowering a lot of what the progressives are thinking nowadays. Uh, how do we go about, um, I guess, changing the perspective and addressing some of the, do we have to start with the roots? Do we start with just, hey, here, here's some of the, maybe the underlying assumptions. Is it just through love? Is that, is it, and this is where it comes to more of the pastoral concerns and what I, what I wanted to ask you about that. Um, how, how is it, is, do you think, how much, I guess, how much does a, does a role does reason have to play in this versus more of the pastoral concerns and loving our neighbor? What, what role does each of those have in this conversation? And how do we go about really reconciling some of the differences and especially in perspective with some of the racial issues today? I think it has a, uh, we must adopt a two-pronged strategy, and they both have to be part of the overall strategy, though some people may be called to, to emphasize one of the prongs, and somebody else may be called to be a part, more a part of the other. Some may do both, but we need to want both of them to happen, even though I'm yeah. my calling is to do one of the two. Now, and, and the first prong, not in order of importance, but uh, I'll just say, number one, we have to use reason and re-educate our community about uh, uh, these matters. Uh, pastors do not talk about politics. They're afraid of it. They should. Mm -hmm. uh, what we need to do is, as, is we need thousands of websites and podcasts like you're doing right now to get online and start having conversations about these things so people can learn about them and we need to we need to multiply what you're doing 10,000 fold and we we need literature we need radio programs we we need pod you get it you get the point i'm making sure yeah. but we have to do we cannot abandon reason the way christianity spread was through persuasion uh, in the book of Acts and through acts of love, both. Uh, and so we have to engage in reasonable persuasion at a broad level. So that's number one. Number two, in a more one-on-one -on -one level or more of a community level, let's say, where I'm sort of in a church or leading a church and I'm trying to uh, uh, deal with situations in my community. I think the first thing we have to do is be good listeners and give people a chance to express what's on their mind and hear them, just hear them. And then look for things that we can affirm without denying what we believe. So surely there will be things that we can affirm. We can affirm that that, we, uh, that that would be incredibly painful if that were to happen to me. And I'm, I'm grieved that this happened to you and I'd like to be a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I have to affirm things I don't believe I, are right, I, but I can look for things. Now, the next thing that I do is that I offer an alternative way of accomplishing their goals without doing it in a destructive way or without overstating the 
the depth of the problem and just saying, uh, you know, America's nothing but trash. Because there are good things in our, in our culture and in our uh, institutions that need to be preserved. And so we need a, a more of a balance. So we try to offer an alternative way of going about this. Now, I'll tell you why this is so important. People who are, are, are in the cancel culture, they're, they're unwilling to even hear someone. They'll run a conservative speaker off campus and, and riot and won't let them speak. Uh, or they'll loot and riot when, when a, a judgment comes down and the police were not found guilty. Um, what the rioters and others don't realize is that they're actually undermining their own cause. Because people look at that and they say to themselves, these people are not fair-minded at all. They're unwilling to, to, to think this through with us. Let's join together and try to think about this and let's give and take. And, and instead, uh, people dis, who are unwilling to listen and grant good points to another side discredit themselves from the conversation. They disqualify themselves. So Josh, like you said, when I hear about one of these uh, police incidents, I want to know what happened. And yeah. so I, I wait to hear the facts. As, and, and I try to smell if the facts are being reported in a way that's biased toward the police. I don't like that. I want to try to find somebody that I sense is being fair-minded and actually telling us what happened. I don't jump immediately to either to a conclusion one way or the other. Uh, let's take the the George the Floyd incident. After watching that and hearing about what happened, it was very clear to me that this was an example of police brutality uh, that was inappropriate. Unless there are facts I don't know about, and I I mean I don't. But if I don't know about them, I'm going to form the judgment based on what I saw and did hear that this was absolutely wrong. Was it racist? I have no idea because I don't know why he did it. Uh, if he said something like, you, you, you know, use the N word and something, it was racist, but maybe, maybe there's something else going on in this guy's life. So I, I distinguish police brutality from racist, but I, I don't know. And so is, is, uh, is that police officer that did that a racist? Um, he, there may be, I haven't followed the case a lot since it, the first week or two. So it maybe it's, they've discovered that he is. So if so, that's even worse. But maybe he's just a bad person who has no right being a police officer and the department should have got rid of him a long time ago because he's just brutal. I don't know. So what we have to do Mm -hmm. is we have to wait and hear what the facts are and allow our moral response to be based upon the facts and not just on indoctrination or drinking the Kool-Aid. Sure, sure. So what do you do in a, in a hypothetical situation? Let's say we're having this, you know, this, this conversation with, uh, and because I personally have a lot of friends who, um, both on the conservative side as well as on the liberal side, 
And uh, we've had some, some fierce engagements around some of these conversations. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, brothers in Christ, and so that's what unites us. But we definitely have differing opinions on some of these issues, even with some of the guys who I previously lived with. And, um, and a lot of those conversations have been really fruitful, understanding the perspective of, um, you know, people who uh, really want to advocate for different injustices. And I think that's as Christians, we're called to do that. If, if, if we see that there's an issue in, in society, uh, some kind of systemic injustice, let's address that. Let's, um, you know, try to, uh, I mean, Jesus, right, with the, with, the Egypt, uh, with the Israelites in Egypt. I mean, that's the, the classic story of the Exodus, right? Um, and there's, there's countless other examples of this where clearly God uh, is a God of justice and, um, and wants to, to help the people who are oppressed and he, he hates uh, uh, oppression. So um, I think as far as the, um, the desire of many, both conservatives and liberals who I, who I talk to about these kinds of things, they have this, uh, many of them have the same uh, uh, intentions or, or overall um, perspective on what is right to do. But um, where a lot of it gets lost is the how. Um, like you just mentioned, um, you know, in, uh, when you were talking, um, many times uh, I think the, the, the liberal, especially because a lot of this is just taught on campus now with the whole cancel culture, the way to go about it isn't even necessarily to have a conversation. Sometimes it's just shutting it down and using violence. Uh, and, and, it's, and, and it's justified uh, because uh, speech can be a form of violence. Um, it, that, that's one view that's really commonly held, held nowadays. And so uh, violence, you know, begets more violence. So um, when we're having these conversations, uh, I, I totally agree with you that, uh, you know, we should have their perspective in mind of uh, care first, listen first. Um, what can we do to just hear the other person and affirm them before necessarily addressing some of maybe the inconsistencies or flaws and reasons, because we all have them. Um, but what do you, what, what would you say, uh, how would you say we should also respond as Christians to not just other Christians, but non-believers, let's say as well, who are just um, incredibly angry and don't want a reason when it comes to some of these things. Maybe they, they just want to riot and loot and, you know, what else have you. How, how do you deal with those kinds of situations where, Reasoning uh, doesn't seem to work. Like Thomas Paine once said, uh, try, trying to uh, uh, reason with, uh, and I'm paraphrasing this, with a foolish man is like administering medicine to the dead. Um, <laughs> what do you do in those kinds of situations? Well, I think uh, in the first case, where we're trying to talk about something, I, I would want to start by saying, um, would you be willing, before we go any further, to have a civil calm conversation with me and if the answer is yes then I would suggest a way of going about it I would say the following one of us will start and be if you want and I, my, my purpose will be to, to try to hear what you're saying to me so um, I may stop you just to paraphrase so that you you understand I'm getting what you're saying Mm -hmm. And um, I may I may ask you uh, the other reason I could maybe interject would be to ask you to just clarify a point that I'm not understanding. But my purpose is is to hear you, not and to make sure you feel like you were heard. That's number one. And then 
I'm going to do the same thing and that your job is, the, is reversed. Now, once we both have been heard by the other, then we can start um, uh, going, uh, offering criticisms of the other person's point of view that we would like to have them respond to and, and to try to answer. Uh, if they can't do it on the spot, we say, listen, we get that. Um, if you'd like to drop me an email or get back or just forget it, that's fine. But I understand that sometimes we need a little bit more time to think about something. No problem. Let's move on to another. And then there's an opportunity for that person then to offer you a critique. And so, and then you finish up with saying, would you like to, let's both maybe have a chance to just kind of summarize what we're taking away from our time together. And if you set down some rules that you both agree with, and then you have a civil conversation. That, other than that, um, if you don't do that at the beginning, then I think it's not going to go well. And um, that's number one. Now, if we're dealing with people that are not willing to do that, um, I, think, I think that the Bible is, is, is pretty clear. Uh, I think that people who are engaging in certain behaviors like that are, need to be punished for their actions. If they're stealing from people or destroying their businesses or whatever it might be, that is wrong and they don't, just because uh, two wrongs don't make a right and uh, you don't have a right to do anything you want just because you've been wronged or perceived to have been wronged. So uh, uh, that, that's about the only thing I can say on that. Um, maybe I'll make one final distinction and that is that moral philosophers draw a distinction between two different acts that are wrong. One of them is understandable and the other isn't. And so an example might be, uh, here's an elderly couple and his wife has lost the desire to live. Uh, she's not in any particular great pain, but there's just nothing. She's depressed every day and she wants to die and asks her husband to kill her. And so he does. Now that's wrong. He shouldn't have done that, but I can understand it. If I were in his shoes, I would maybe do the same thing he did, though I admit that what I would be doing is wrong. It's understandable. An example of a moral wrong that isn't is going through a neighborhood and intentionally shooting a five-year-old in the head. Mm. I'm sorry. That's not only wrong, but I, I don't get it. Uh, that is not something that I think is understandable. And so I could say to a person who's doing looting or whatever, that, that I can understand your outrage. I don't think it's appropriate. I think it's overstated. And maybe it's the result of you being told you're a victim. I don't know. But, but at least I can get that you would be outraged given your, your background. Uh, but I still think what you're doing is wrong, and, and it, has to, it has to be punished. So I think that's the best all I can give you on that, Josh. This is a difficult yeah. subject, and uh, that's pretty much what I've, what I've got on it at this point. Sure. Well, thanks, JP. I appreciate you, um, you know, going over all of this with, uh, with us. 
um, learning about you know some of the fundamental beliefs that we hold. And I think many of us don't uh, don't know uh, many of the fundamental beliefs that we hold that impact some of these views and that are undergirding a lot of society. You get a lot of groupthink um, and a lot of and especially just with social media and um, all this uh, this information that that travels around uh, in the information age. It's it's really good to be able to parse apart that and think critically through some of these issues. So. I appreciate you giving us the tool to be able to uh, to do that, JP. Well, and I appreciate you providing a platform where this kind of thing can happen to people who want to be a part of it. I hope you'll keep doing it, and I wish you well in this, Josh. 